Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus week. Wow. That's like the first time I've ever screwed that up. <laughs> I'm just going to do that again. It's because Andrew's not here as moral support. Oh, it's it's okay. Yeah. It's just that's how it's going to go today. Behold! The sword of power. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're covering our first ever annual, talking chaos and magic and giant bees and taxes in Excalibur annual number one, featuring the stories Black Magic and Money is Honey. And the creative team for the first story is Evan Skolnick on writing, Chris Marinin and Odwin Newman on pencils, Mark McKenna, Danny Bulanati and Keith Williams on inks, Dana Morrishead and Mike Thomas on colors, and Janice Chang on lettering. The second story employs Joey Cavalieri on writing, Dave Baller on pencils, Kevin Conrad on inks, Glynis Oliver on colors, and Richard Starkings on letters. Susan Gaffney and Terry Cavanaugh are our editors. He was a pickpocket. He thought that anything was better than prison. Little did he know what he'd escaped from wasn't half as strange or frightening as what he'd stumbled into. I do not believe what I believe, Lord. These are magical, unexplainable matters, and I beg you not to make me a part of them. As I mentioned off the top, this is our first annual discussion of an Excalibur annual, and it sure is a comic, which we will talk about. First, some intros to your usual dungeon masters. I am Dr. Anna Papard. I write and talk about lots of stuff, but especially gender and sexuality and comics and superheroes and lots of academic and less academic spaces. I'm still recommending you check out the Our Best X-Men series from Comics XF, where I recently wrote about Sword is Drawn, and that you follow me and GGW co-host Andrew over at Sequential Scholars on Twitter. I am joined, as always, by Mav. Please relate your stats hi my name is christopher maverick but you can call me mav and i'm i'm very sad today that andrew was tragically lost in the time stream (laughs) (laughs) more on that in the future but or the past i don't know what episode what order the episodes come out in i was actually because it's weird because like i wanted to make that joke on the one where that actually happens but andrew's on that episode but he's not on this episode (laughs) but it's odd because that happened to brian but he's in this episode and we're i i don't know it will make more sense no it's not it's not going to make any sense when we talk about it in a little bit but anyway (laughs) hi my name is christopher maverick but you can call me mav and uh i am a lecturer of digital narrative interactive design and cultural studies and English lit and stuff like that um, at the University of Pittsburgh. And I'm a pop culture scholar and an internet scholar. And I do, (laughs) I don't know what I'm in charge of anymore. As we record, I'm very oddly in this weird transitional phase where I'm switching schools and I'm switching jobs and stuff. Um, But that's no longer true by the time this episode comes out, probably, unless the episode comes out earlier than I think. I don't know. So um, hi, just happy to be here. Yeah, we're very out of sorts today because we are usually joined by Dr. Andrew DeMann, our anchor, but he quit the podcast to become an adventurer um, or got lost in the time stream or whichever explanation we're coming up for him. He's actually just on a vacation with his family. Yeah, he will be back. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently people he loves more than us. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> Miss you. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, those things don't rule each other out. I mean, he may become an adventurer on this vacation and may or may not return. Time will tell. 
Um, but we are not fending for ourselves. We have a new recruit, and by that I mean guest, in fellow podcaster, educator, and X-Men aficionado, Jason Hundy. Welcome, Jason. Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Glad to, <laughs> glad to fill in. So I, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'll be able to... Uh, to, to follow in Andrew's footsteps, but I'll, I'll do my best today. So no, we're going to, we're going to welcome you to the team. And then at the end of the episode, we're never going to mention you again. Well, as long as I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm not well, I, so I'm going to be Farrand then basically. So, oh no, I was thinking chaos. Um, oh yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah that, that too. Oh God. But yes, well, no, hopefully, ca- hopefully not that bad. <laughs> if, if you're the chaos though, you get cool hair and you get an awesome backstory awesome swords. and yeah. awesome swords, lightning yeah, power. I think so you know it's not so bad I don't I'm not sure if you want later in the episode I will read the back of his card uh but I'll I'll save that oh my god do you have the you have the trading cards with you oh just wait yeah just wait (laughs) okay okay let's so to be fair that automatically makes you colder than Farron who is who you wanted to be you've already you've already (laughs) like in the last like 60 seconds that you've been on the show you surpassed Farron's entire run I knew I could congratulations I knew I could do it that was the goal. All right, let's let's introduce Jason and give our listeners an idea of what he get up, gets up to, and then we'll start talking about trading cards and maybe this comic. We'll see. Uh, Jason <laughs> Hundy is a high school and adjunct college professor with Ferris State University, where he teaches AP World History, Music History courses, History of Film, Horror and Sci-Fi Film, Global Studies, and a Humanities Pop Culture course. He has co-hosted the Requiem Metal podcast since 2008, the Wild West Days of Podcasting, with his best friend and graphic novel slash artist Mark Rudolph, where they overanalyze the history and context of music on the heavier end of the spectrum. He is an avid 70s slash 80s slash early 90s ex-title obsessive and loves Kitty and Nightcrawler, but not as much as Anna, he says, but it's not a competition. We're all welcome here. He wants Anna and Mav to know that he got the chaos trading card with his polybag for this annual and is planning to leverage its value for early retirement after he cleans up with his Wildcats and Brigade number one cash-ins. I'm sure that's going to pay Ooh, wow. off for you. <laughs> Still gambling, I, baby. Still gambling. What, what, I, what I'm learning, what I've already learned is that means that two people on this planet have read Brigade Number 1, because I did. Um, I, sh- I sure may have, I'll be honest with you. I think I own three copies of Number 1, but I don't think I ever read it, because that's oh. the way comics wow. were back then for me. <laughs> wow. It was uh, it was investment uh, buying. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad rem- time. I don't remember anything, which is not a good sign. So yeah, yeah. I think I did read Wildcats at least, but yeah, we'll see. Wildcats, I've read, and I always hype the Shelf Dust series on Early Image Comics, in which oh, I forget who wrote about Wildcats, but the Wildcats essay is really, really good. I'll put it. Oh in yeah. The show notes. Oh wow. Um, it does say, by the way, on the back of the Chaos card, uh, it says Chaos came to our world from another dimension on a one-way trip to murder. Fearless and relentless, with formidable techno-magical skill, Chaos often lives up to his namesake with catastrophic results for any who stand against him. So, um, God, who the hell is his PR manager? He's getting like the good PR job over there. Yeah, I mean, he's in one comic bad. book, and that's his send up. Holy shit! Although here's here's the part, in, and I want you guys to maybe explain the the physiology of this. So his stats on the back, all right, they give his height as five ten. What would you guess a five ten uh, superhero's weight might be? Five ten superhero's weight, nineteen ninety three, two eighty. 155 oh, so this, guy, this guy's john bradley this guy's like uh you know like he's like minute bowl or something like that so i i don't know it's a very yeah. dis- a disconcerting them, stats that, that, that might i wonder if they're because a lot of times in those days they had people they had male characters ridiculously heavy for their height and female characters ridiculously light for their weight because they to, to their for their height because they actually they wanted all the female characters to be tall so they'd be like she is five foot ten 120 yeah, pounds yeah. and i'd be like yeah. <laughs> um or and they had and they had men it's like he is six two three three forty and i'm like that's that's a lot that's that's like a solid truck but so like when you say he's five ten to it 155 that's really light now if it's probably the lack of pouches i'll be honest because pouches (laughs) weigh a lot so maybe well i was thinking so like i what things that i know from memorizing the the off mute when i was a kid like um people like angel are ridiculously light because angel has hollow bones oh he does that's right as as does long shot long shot as well maybe this is telling us that um, is this an elf thing yeah maybe elf weight 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it, for for Angel and Longshot, it was their bodies are mutated and calibrated for flight, even though even though Longshot can't fly, but it makes him more acrobatic because he has hollow bones like a bird's, which makes him able to move faster and makes them alive. There you and go. Things that yep. I know because I read every word that Mark Grenwald wrote because <laughs> I was that kid. <laughs> I do have the uh, omnibus of the Marvel Universe uh, official guide. So, yeah, I, I lived on those as well. So. <laughs> oh, my God. I love all these facts about chaos. We're going to get many more facts about chaos in the comic book at hand. Um <laughs> so many so for one appearance he really really does and um yeah like fun fact about him our writer evan skolnick this was apparently his D D character which he like wrote into the comic book and that's part of yeah so much yeah i think it actually does it say it on the card no it doesn't i i found that somewhere as well i saw i came across that fact so that makes sense yeah, because I was really thinking whether he'd been in any other comics, as it seems like he would have, and they really leave it open at the end, like, he may return, he's trapped on our Earth, and it's like, Chaos no, will no. return. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, you know, he's like Kane in the Kung Fu series, just wandering the Earth now, you know, so, seeking adventure, so. Right for reinvention. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Let's talk a little bit more about you, Jason. I want to hear a little bit about your background and your podcast and all of that stuff. Let's do a comic origin story for you. It seems like you've probably been a comics reader for some time, but tell us about that. When did you first start reading comics? I have. So so my origin story is uh, almost equally as dense as the chaos story in the in the book. So prepare yourself. <laughs> Sit back, uh, you know, pour some tea and, uh, you know, whatever. But um, I grew up uh, an only child, single parent in the 80s. Um, so, of course, I lived off television, you know, Super Friends, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, Incredible Hulk, all that kind of stuff. But Best my cartoons ever, yes. Yeah, great. Yeah, I love them. But my first major encounter was when my mom would, you know, do the random toy book buying, uh, single parent guilt, you know, things like that. And she one day came home with Uncanny X-Men 168. And, of course, uh that's the iconic, you know, oh. Kitty Pride. Professor X is a jerk. Um, <laughs> I think you mean that's the iconic Kurt posing as Burt Reynolds. Comic. Yes, exactly, exactly. Wow. And, and so, no, Professor X is a jerk. I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong. I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> so, so I yeah, kind of fell in love there. with both. You know, both of those characters instantly became my favorite. And I don't know what that says about my feelings towards Nightcrawler, but I just liked the way he looked. You know, um, and of course, Kitty. I was, I was, you know. I was in like early elementary school probably then. So like I didn't really identify with Kitty at that point, but I was intrigued by her being kind of a young character and stuff like that. Yeah. But I was I was kind of too young at that point to really like start collecting or follow through much. But, you know, of course, I got like the Secret Wars toys and then because uh, they were badass. Um, and then I, of course, became obsessed with the Tim Burton Batman movie when I was in like third or fourth grade. And then I had some friends in the apartment complex I grew up with that started kind of, they were older and they started exposing me to comics. And I really became a regular collector around, I think, fifth grade with uh, the, the McFarlane Amazing Issues with uh, Scorpion, I think 318. Mm -hmm. And then oh, yeah. Unca Uncanny 247 was the first like uncanny issue that I bought and then I didn't not buy one for years, you know, so that was like my, my introduction, which was a really bizarre time to pick up like Uncanny X-Men with the Siege Perilous and all the Australia stuff. And it was like, I actually had no idea it was really happening in the book other than Wolverine <laughs> was crucified. And I was like, what is going on? But, but I was obviously drawn to it, you know? And I think, you know, around that same time I was, you know, had discovered a local comic book store in our town and kind of moved away from the spin rack at the local grocery store and, and started kind of going into there and buying back issues. My first Excalibur that I remember buying was, I believe it's issue nine. It's the one with Cap putting his clothes on on the cover. And I just like the way Alan Davis's art looked. And I don't, I, I think I recognize Nightcrawler, but I don't think I connected Kitty Pride from that old comic that I held mm -hmm. on to because obviously she changed her costume a million times, just the you know, running joke of that point. And then I kind of became a mega collector around the end of fifth grade and sixth grade. I got hooked uh, by older friends with like Miller's Daredevil and Watchmen and Sandman. Um, and so I was kind of already getting into like the quote unquote more mature works of comics and stuff. And I was pretty avid up through kind of, I guess, the launch, uh, we were joking earlier, of like image and the sort of 90s excess. And then right around like Fatal Attractions, which I think is Excalibur 71, when you get into that yeah, you know, yeah. crossover, 
that's kind of when I reached kind of critical mass and I kind of got burnout on comics. And it's right around that time that I shifted my lawn mowing money from comics to buying music. And that became my <laughs> new sort of obsession is, you know, metal and punk and indie rock and all that stuff, which is, you know, the pathway to how I eventually, you know, host a, a, a music podcast. But I didn't get rid of my comics, luckily. And I still had like deep love for the X-Men, especially the X titles. I think I think instinctively, I was still waiting for the follow up to uh, the next episode of Pride of the X-Men, which kind of (laughs) I really, really really wanted that to be the thing. I was really disappointed when the X-Men actual cartoon came out and I was like, Jubilee, uh, you know, but it was still a good cartoon. But I was I really wanted Australian Wolverine and Kitty Pride. I think I think also subconsciously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, think, I think because I started reading in the Australia era, I don't, oh, I think I knew yeah. he was Canadian, but like I never put two and two together that they were, you know, doing that wrong. So, you know, I think like all the poly bags and chromium covers and, you know, multiple number ones and stuff, like we were joking with Brigade, I, it just kind of burnt me out. And I kind of, I lost uh, some of my, my love for, for buying all that at the, that time. But when yeah. I, Started working in college, uh, like 1997 was my freshman year in college. And I started working at the record store that I worked at through the rest of, of college. And um, a couple years into it, a comic store opened up next door. And so they would come next door to our store and we go next door to their store and became friends with them. And I would kind of peruse through stuff. And they had a lot of, you know, obviously late 90s stuff, which was, you know, I, I would pick up a couple X-Men issues to see what the heck was going on with onslaught or, or something. I, yeah, I had no idea. And I started, they had a bunch of old uncanny back issues. And so I started buying a lot of those and I suddenly kind of got this idea in my head right around the time I studied abroad in Italy, kind of had committed to the fact that I was going on eBay and starting to track down like cheap old, like uh, John Byrne, you know, run issues and early Dave Cockrum stuff when I could find them from cheap prices. And my goal was, uh, and it's an admirable goal, I guess, or a ridiculous goal, but I'll let you two judge. (laughs) was I wanted to read the entire Claremont run from 94 all the way up. And I think I had started to fill in newer issues too. And so my goal was like, I'm going to read from issue 94 to issue 400, just straight shot. And I didn't want to do it through an omnibus. I was aware of those things, but I really wanted like the tangibleness of pulling out each comic and seeing the ridiculous advertisements from the 70s and the progression of, of all of that kind of stuff. It, there was something kind of tactile about that that I was kind of interested in. And uh, so that kind of pulled me back into comics a little bit. And I kind of dabbled in, you know, getting into like Bone and Prometheus. Uh, I was a huge Alan Moore fan. So I would I would kind of pick up titles here and there, you know, but I wasn't really ever back to full collecting. Then I think I took this kind of my subconscious Kitty Pride love into like a Buffy obsession on uh, I fell in love with Buffy and Angel and all that stuff, not really knowing that Whedon had, you know, based Kitty off of, uh, or Buffy off of Kitty. And then I was really pumped to find out, oh, he's like actually writing X-Men stuff. So I started buying Astonishing X-Men and, and some of that. And right around that time is kind of when I started teaching. And so of course, when you become a teacher, all your interests sort of <laughs> take a back seat because you're in over your head and all that. Um, but when COVID fast forward, you know, decade or so, you know, plus later, um, obviously I've been podcasting since 2008 and when COVID hit, I tracked down my very last issue, which was issue 94, obviously the most expensive one to sort of buy. And I was like, well, it is better, you know, this is the time to do it. And so I started rereading everything uh, from, you know, the, the order. And when a new title would come into the chronology, I would add it. So I had all the, I had issue one through a hundred of New Mutants already and Excalibur and X Factor and things like that. And so it was kind of like, as I was, you know, juggling those four titles that I think I came across Andrew's Claremont run on Twitter. And I was like, oh, what is this? This is exactly... Because we know a guy. Yeah. 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 This is this is what I like to do with metal. This deep, deep, you know, over analysis. And I love it. That's the kind of how I approach all my interests. And then I think they made a reference to, oh, gosh. And I was like, oh, sweet. You know, I love, uh, you know, Excalibur and Excalibur and New Mutants. I'll say this out of the reread. Those were the two titles that like really rose up on my ranking because I think like when I I had read Excalibur before, I kind of got lost during the cross time caper. I was kind of. I was too young for it, if I'm being honest. You know, it was just like a little, I, I didn't get like the sex farce and some of the really kind of yeah. really clever postmodern things that were going on there. 
And now, of course, I appreciate them. And also New Mutants, I didn't realize how dark that title was. You know, I mean, yeah. I knew with like Cable yeah. it was, but the Bill Sienkiewicz and, and some of that stuff was just like mind blowing to me. So anyways, long story short, that's how I found you folks. And uh, for some strange reason, I reached out to you and you guys actually said, <laughs> yeah. Let's do let's do an episode. I said, well, I I don't know what uh, academia I have to offer, but I do have podcasting experience. So there there you go. Is that as long as the chaos origin story, or is the chaos origin story longer? I, I'm not sure. So well, I guess it will depend how how long we record, and then we'll have to do it as a percentage of the episode. There you go. Okay, I want to know. Give me the stats. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I paid more attention to what you said than I did. I mean, oh god, this was a slog. It was. Rough. Yeah. Oh god, I, I shouldn't have said that before you did the episode recap. That's all right. I mean, oh, it's, well, great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. You guys should all stick around and listen to what we have to say because yeah. it's going to be riveting. Yes. It is, but I don't. Know, I love that that you rediscovered it during the pandemic because it's like obviously the pandemic sucks, and I really wish there wasn't a pandemic. But it's been interesting how many people have rediscovered x-men in the last three years like so much of the fan community is sort of built around that and it's a combination of the relaunch of the line but that sort of coincided you know that happened a little less than a year literally right before i know right before the pandemic and then i just have found that i've been hearing that from a lot of people that like a combination of those two things has sort of inspired them to get back into it and for andrew too like he sort of started doing claremont run around that time for similar reasons and it's just it's kind of wild i know it was like i'll just do this for like six months while the pandemic's going on then it turned into years and i don't know i'm publishing an essay and it'll be a few weeks old by the time this episode comes out but you know about uh this is depressing about grief and trauma and excalibur sword is drawn and sort of excalibur being i just saw that yeah that's about sort of recovering from all of those things right and sort of finding a new direction and finding a new family and new hope and all of these things right and like Mm -hmm. it's funny because that is such a perfect metaphor for kind of the experience of the pandemic though and sort of the things that we've all sort of rediscovered and the new connections that we've made and everything because it's sort of making a good thing out of a bad thing you know and I sort of like the I don't know the kismet of that or something Mm -hmm. for for what we get to talk about every week yeah for sure (laughs) like how all these glowing things that we're saying about x-men comics that we really love and they may or may not be super applicable to the comic at hand but let's talk a little bit about the comic at hand anyway uh starting with a plot summary because i do want to talk about a few things from it there's some stuff to talk about here so i know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod we'd never cheat on you with a different dark elf in front of you we promise but as always let's start today's rebellion with a plot summary our first story black magic opens with a chaotic battleground occupied by chaos it's real but it's also a dream or more like a nightmare cerise's nightmare to be exact apparently these nightmares have been happening for some time Rachel can't detect psychic interference, Farron can't detect magical interference, but Cerise knows something is up, and she's going to get to the bottom of it. So everybody hops on a plane and flies to the abandoned castle Cerise has been dreaming about. At the castle, they meet a hooded, bearded dude named Gath. He serves them tea and says he's a poor refugee from another dimension, searching for a way to get home. The tea party is interrupted by chaos and his cool hair and cool swords and lightning powers we think maybe excalibur defeats chaos but against the wishes of gath take him back to braddock manor to tend to his injuries in the brig sometime later chaos tells cerise his real deal it is long and i am not going to repeat all of it but suffice to say chaos is from another dimension where everything is all sword and sorcery all the time and where he thought he was a peasant but actually is the son of two warring tribes destined to unite a fractured nation or world or something something of that nature with the help of his band of adventurers he does so for a while until gath the mage attacks the same gath from before but wearing cool metal snake armor chaos and co defeat gath but the mage escapes to earth 616 chaos follows him which catches us up to the present chaos uses his magic swords to escape custody and goes after cerise who went after gath then excalibur go after both of them then everybody does more fighting gath discovers that chaos's magic totem is the secret key needed to reopen in the dimensional portal so he reopens it and everyone goes to chaos's dimension where excalibur helped defeat gath once and for all then everybody goes home but not before cerise 
gets Chaos with a lip massage that makes Nightcrawler go, hmm. Also, Chaos is still with them. Turns out Gath ran some scramble spell that took him back to the 616 with Excalibur. He's stranded there with a promise of future adventures, which never come to fruition. But at least he gets that cool trading card. In our second story, <laughs> Honey is Money, the Technet liberates some magic nectar that helps a pretty blonde lady heal the terrible skin condition of her paramour. And everybody gets lots of bee stings. The end. Didn't, <laughs> didn't want to spend too much time summarizing that one. It's a pretty, it's a pretty straightforward comedy bit all right jason hit me with your first impressions of this issue i think you were either reading it for the first time or hadn't read it for a very long time so so what was your response to digging into this one well i think like a couple things you know i didn't have a lot of impressions one of the things you asked me to think about was whether or not the comic was metal um i guess (laughs) um and so that's my expertise. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, that's my expertise, <laughs> I suppose. I'll save that, I guess. I, I, I'll let, you know, Mav kind of give, because he's probably going to give better first impressions, but I'll I'll come no. back to the, the metal question <laughs> afterwards. Sorry, Mav. I might have set you up for something. A <laughs> lot, uh, lot of pressure there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I will say that the main story was, it was a lot at times, you know, there's um, a lot of uh, backstory there, but, but, you know, I was kind of focused on, you know, whether it advanced any of the characters and, you know, I don't know. I think, I think it wanted to advance Cerise and I, I, I don't know if you want to talk about that now or later, but it, I, I kind of struggled to figure out whether it did anything to make me care more about her at this point. And um, that was frustrating because I want to so badly. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I said, I was more thinking about the metal question than I think I was like <laughs> you know, anything else. So I derailed you with that. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. That's why I'm here, you know, metal podcasts and all. So <laughs> Mav, any first impressions you want to share before we get back to that very pertinent question? Um, this is arguably the most interesting Cerise has been. Yeah, that's my yeah, that's my yeah. yeah. Um, she has dreams I, and nightmares, right? That's she something. Has, she has a thought balloon in this yes. comic. Um, <laughs> she, she she is a completely unrecognizable character from anything that she's done previously. She doesn't, you know, like this is not a woman who was born yesterday anymore. She has thoughts, and I don't know that I like her, but I but I'm intrigued by her mistrust of stuff and like even her naivete of thinking oh i want to thank chaos so i'll make out with him <laughs> i i mean then i'm actually kind of okay with yeah, it right? yeah because that is a you know that is a more interesting thing than i am here now so therefore i am just in love with the first boy i saw no to her if someone does something nice you make out with them and i'm like that's okay something. sure if that's you know I mean? for like, me yeah, that, yeah. That, that isn't that isn't interesting i'm not saying it's even necessarily the right decision I am not convinced that she has enough of a love component to that to even call it like polyamorous or polysexual. I think she, to her, it is a lip massage. It is something that feels nice. So you are doing this for a person who has done something heroic. Yay. And that would be interesting. It's never followed up on again. It's never going to be mentioned again. So don't worry about it (laughs) if you've not read this comic. Beyond that, Evan Skolnick's done a lot of work in comics. None of it's like my favorite stuff that I can think of. None of, but like, it's not like he's it's not like he's a nobody he's not a hack he, he is a working writer and this is not his best story um i don't know what is but this is not it this is a story that very much feels like a fill-in issue it was clearly written with the idea of hey we're gonna bring rachel back to the team and cerise is gonna be around and farron's gonna be around who i don't think actually really speaks he has um, one line Kylan- at yeah, one and point, Kylan's yeah. gonna be around, who also doesn't really do anything. Yeah. So, like, yeah, they're around. There is no point in the history of Excalibur where this issue slots in. Trust me, I've read all the issues. Like, I know, like, there's literally nowhere. There's much like the issue that we had a while back, where um, where Power Pack came to visit, and I told you there's nowhere that that story could possibly run into the Power Pack continuity. There's nowhere that this can run into the. Um, um, Excalibur continuity because because there's a little note at the beginning. It's like, oh, by the way, this happens before Brian gets lost in the time stream, which is where he was when the um when the issue came out. Except that they clearly wrote this before then because before Brian got lost in the time stream, Rachel wasn't back yet, so it doesn't make sense. And you know what? I don't care. It's an annual. Like annuals exist to fill up space, and this did that. 
I guess. No, I want to. I want to talk about that. Put a pin in that because yeah. I want to talk about the purpose of annuals because I think that is mm-hmm. a good question and it's a frustrating question. But yeah, I got. I got to get to back to this question about the comic being metal, Jason. So the reason I asked that question is because I don't know. I've always like people do use that as an adjective to like articulate something aesthetic or something emotional, and I don't know. Is that an aspect of like the excess of the '90s? Is there anything meaningful about using that as an adjective? Well, I think, yeah, I think in the 90s, the, the so-called, you know, the Excalibur is not a dark title, but, you know, the darkness of, of a lot of what happened to comics definitely became, you know, metal to some extent. But, you know, I it is definitely a term that we use sort of endearingly, you know, because metal, I always explain to my, my students when we're in music class and stuff, and we've certainly addressed it on the podcast. Metal itself is like, it's like a tribal thing. It's it's very universal across the planet. When I lived in Italy, I didn't speak a lick of Italian, but like if somebody had an Iron Maiden shirt on, I'd give them a head nod and like the devil horns and we like connect mm. it in that moment, you know? And that's strange, you know, that's something you can't do with like every kind of subgenre of music, I guess. Uh, and so there there is that where you can refer to things, I guess, as metal. But I guess in terms of is the comic itself metal, you know, I, I, I kind of, thought deeply on that as, as deeply as you can about this annual. Um, is, <laughs> you know. And I guess in some pockets, yeah, I think Chaos's origin story is kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a Tolkien Conan the Barbarian kind of fever dream kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, one of his buddies is named Krom, you know, so, you know, I just kind of like thought of Conan the Barbarian there. And I guess within metal that we we sort of dissect, there are, I guess, two genres or, or subgenres of metal that I think this comic would kind of fall under. And one is war metal, and then the other is like power slash like fantasy metal. And so I'll, I'll kind yeah. of address those two briefly. Um, and it's Go really it. funny because what we just recorded, were, we just finished our second of a three-part episode on a band from England, from Coventry, ironically with Excalibur. Uh, called Bolt Thrower. And they took their name from the Warhammer 40k uh, role playing game. Um, And they actually had a relationship with Games Workshop. And they were kind of the quintessential war metal band, I guess, in that they did sing about kind of things from role playing games and dwarf battles and stuff. I I, I didn't play Warhammer. Um, My co-host did, so he can talk more, more aptly about that. But they, you know, so like war metal as a genre is like a thing. And I think, you know, like the way that chaos is, is, you know, dressed and like the things that seem to be happening with the battles going on, there's, there's a little bit of that aspect uh, that I could kind of draw from there. Another band from war metal that kind of reminds me, I guess, of this is a uh, man of war, especially their early stuff. Cause they sort of dress like, like S and M Conan, the barbarian, if you want to yeah. combine those mm-hmm. two things together. <laughs> And they're, you know, their first few records were pretty badass, but I guess, you know, for me, because of, I guess the Tolkien kind of aspects of the story, because I get some reminders of Tolkien, which everybody steals from Tolkien, but there were a lot of, I guess, in the nineties, especially a lot of Norwegian uh, black metal and Viking metal bands that sort of had Tolkien-esque kind of fantasy elements in their lyrics and stuff. But I guess, you know, war metal is a pretty specific thing that I don't know addresses this comic as much as I think power and fantasy metal. And that's like the one that I think this makes this comic, I guess, a little bit more metal. And that kind of comes from like, there was a band in the 70s called Rainbow with Ronnie James Dio and had Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple playing guitar. And Dio was like the first guy to sing about like Dungeons and Dragons and sorcery and things (laughs) like that. And, you know, like... Coolest logo in all of metal. Exactly. Very cool stuff. And, you know... Dio says devil when you're turning it upside down. Yes, exactly. And, you know, Rainbow's the kind of band like, you know, that like guys that like, you know, painted their vans, they would put that logo on the side or whatever, the um, the airbrushing of the vans, which is a very big trend in the 70s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess nowadays it's kind of a whole cottage industry. But at first, Dio was the first one to do it. Then he went on to Black Sabbath and then his own solo career. And that kind of really introduced what we call, quote unquote, like power metal. And there's like this whole cottage industry, especially in Europe and specifically Germany. Germany's kind of where you find like, these giant metal festivals uh, where people like come dressed as like Vikings and stuff. It's very cosplay. It's not my scene necessarily. I like some power metal bands, you know, like Blind Guardians, probably the best to check one out. They actually did an entire album based on uh, the Silmarillion, which is not the easiest book to do a concept album on. <laughs> um, and it's quite good. And they're, they're very good musicians and all that. And Halloween's another one. 
Um, and Anna, there's actually a German band that started off kind of power metal-y uh, that invented, uh, they're called Running Wild, and they invented pirate metal. So you could kind of uh, <laughs> you know, l- read your Kurt, Kurt uh, Wagner swashbuckling stories Perfect. and listen to some power, yeah. pirate metal. But overall for me and, and Mark, I guess I'll speak for him, power metal is a little cheesy in some ways. It's a little self-serious and, and it's it's kind of like this annual, like there's not a lot of juice to squeeze out of, of a lot of power metal. It's It kind of fulfills some of the like worst stereotypes of metal. Like I think what outsiders think of as metal is like kind of, I don't know. And so like, I'm not as into power metal for that reason, because I tend to like want a little something more there. But, you know, I guess, like I said, that's kind of how I felt about the main story is that it was like self-serious. And so it probably fits most with power metal. So I don't know if I answered that, but that's kind of, uh, you know, where where I stand on the metal question. And I guess, you know, the odd thing about like first impressions, I forgot to say this is I actually really like the TechNet story. I thought it was okay. Pretty clever. I, I wrote it's a the second best adventure story based on taxes that I've sort of encountered this year <laughs> after uh, everything everywhere all at once, which is okay. You know, I was going to ask what the yeah. what the best. One yeah, is. it's definitely that. It's like the best best thing I've maybe ever seen about taxes. But um, hmm. but yeah, so I don't know. But the the main story, you know, the mythology and the exposition, it kind of felt like from a power metal aspect, I guess. Like, do you think? And this is a question for for you both of you because you're you're more experts than I. It sort of seemed like they wanted this annual to be like those really fun, great New Mutants, uncanny Asgard kind of stories. But it was it was just like rushed and there was no just there was nothing there for me. You know, I don't know. The only thing I I liked with we were talking about Cerise. The one thing I did kind of notice about her that I forgot to mention before is I did like that when she said she wanted to pursue where she thought these nightmares were coming from that the team didn't really question it, that they actually like, they actually kind of like gathered yeah. and and supported her in that. And I thought, okay, they, they actually care about Cerise because I've never at this point in my reading of Excalibur, I'm really, she just kind of seems to be there. And so at least I was like, okay, cool. They're, they're supporting whether they believe her, they're actually willing to get in the plane and drive to find an evil castle and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's like 3 a.m. too. Exactly. So, <laughs> so that was a step as a team, you know, in terms of the bonding, but. Yeah, so I know that's that's my long-winded answer about metal and comics and, and where all that sort of fits in. So any any oh, follow-ups that. to that I can I can pursue, but but that's kind of where I'm at with it. No, I love that. I think you did a really good sort of metaphor for <laughs> where this comic fits and sort of where this comic is a little, a little bit wanting as well. But yeah, no, I agree with you about the going with Cerise thing because I I definitely am sick of the oh let's gaslight someone who's having nightmares particularly female characters and not believe them so I'm glad that we didn't do that um that's something to be thankful for in terms nightmares, of the, in, nightmares yeah. in a ro- world where we know that dreams are real and magic yeah I know like, this I happens know. to us we, like okay every in, time it happens they're surprised and yet it's happened right. many times <laughs> exactly. right. in real life I'm like oh I'm sorry you had a nightmare can I get you some warm milk or something like that's what you do right like I, and it seems kind of but like in real life it's sort of okay we're probably not actually being attacked by an extra dimensional sorcerer but in their world if you're having nightmares of course you're being attacked by an extra dimensional sorcerer that's just how it works that's how (laughs) excalibur started with like kitty and kurt having dreams about rachel they know this yep and then you got the all the stuff they've gone through with you know Brian's brother and the things that he can do like reality manipulations and stuff. They so, literally fought nightmare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they, know, they know that this is a thing. <laughs> this is this is a thing that happens. We're, we are aware of it. <laughs> I did have one thing that I thought was sort of interesting. I kind of curious what you, you both of you thought. I found it sort of odd that that Kylan had really like no reaction to like running into like an unknown gateway. It seems like he should like have like more PTSD reservation about, Hey guys, maybe we shouldn't go into this random gateway that just got opened up. But I don't, that was, that was like, (laughs) I was like searching for things to like pull from. And that was like something I noticed about his characters. Like that would have been a cool character opportunity, but I don't know if Kylan has no character in this book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kylan's just there. It's pretty rough. Yep. Yeah. I mean, really, I don't know who outside of Rachel and Chaos and Cerise gets like character moments in this book. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. No, no. I mean, okay, yeah, good. Not too much. And, 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 uh, and, I mean, Nightcrawler I mean, gets to be jealous for a panel. Yeah. 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 Is he even jealous? Well, he's no, like, I mean, he's more serious. just like, huh? <laughs> Maybe he's into it. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe. And I don't know because like literally it's like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Are we going to mention this again? No. <laughs> I felt bad, like with my notes, that I didn't have more to say. But I was like, ah, you know, there's not, there's not, there's not much on the vine here, you know. Well, they're also clearly not sleeping together, at least not nightly, because he has to teleport into her room. Oh. So he's not, he's not there with her. Like they might be a couple. We know they've kissed. But they are not sharing a bed on the regular yet because Ooh, yeah. Kitty and Kurt have to enter the room. They're still about Kitty and Kurt are the first two to get there, but he's not there. He, yeah. he clearly teleports to her room. He's not like just in bed next to her. Yeah. Well, I want no, to revisit no. that actually when we get to some of the Cerise issues after Excalibur 67 because I've always been mm -hmm. curious about what we're supposed to read the nature of their relationship as because I am very unclear about whether they even had sex or whether they just kissed that one time because it's really okay, we'll there's nothing that. there's nothing to yeah. like substantiate it i i just have to add that <laughs> the panel with nightcrawler going home in this comic book is a little bit like the panel from teen titans meet the x-men where starfire plants the big kiss on colossus well, and colossus, then yeah. nightcrawler is like oh do you speak german <laughs> oh, yeah. and that was better though yeah. right because yeah, that made that made more that made more sense when mm -hmm. that happened yeah, kurt like, would be drawn yeah. to a character like starfire for sure and also starfire starfire kissing colossus in that context made more sense but again we had more backstory with starfire at that point than we still have with cerise at this point right so it's, yeah yeah it's it's weird hmm. okay let me ask the annual question before we like go on too long which is that okay like annuals are really weird and i'm someone who studies comics and if i had to describe <laughs> to you what an annual is like it's like they're this relic from the golden age of comics. That they're not something. anymore. They still they still exist. We just don't realize it. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you understand? So nobody understands how annuals work. It's a business decision. There are twelve months in a year, right? Comics are on a four week cycle for print for for publication because. Like, if you think about it, Spider-Man comes out the first week of the month, four times per year. There's a week where there's a there's just a fifth week of the month. There's a fifth Wednesday. So <laughs> in order to have something to ship the last week of months that have extra Wednesdays, comics came up with the concept of annuals, which was we'll just do an extra issue of each book every year. So there'll be 13 issues a year. And then we'll slot like so. In the first month with um with four ex with 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 enough with a fixed fifth week, let's say that's March, we'll just throw out a Fantastic Four and Avengers and an Iron Man. And then three months later we'll throw out an X-Men and a power pack and um a spectacular Spider-Man. And then three months later we'll throw out New Mutants and I don't know, Wolverine and like that. So that's what they did. And they were kind of random. Which is why some people, like a really popular books like Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, got an annual every year. Because, you know, of course we can sell another Spider-Man. Of course we can sell another X-Men. Like, that's where they came from. And then, like, sometimes it'd be like, I don't know, um, anybody got a West Coast Avengers story? Good enough. And, <laughs> and that's where they came from. So that's why Excalibur didn't get one till just then. It's literally just something to do in a week with an extra Wednesday. Now we just do one-shots. In 2022, we just do this thing where hey you know in march we're doing this special event and then we'll have a bunch of stuff that is a special event comic and it's like a tied together story which is like um i don't know miles morales has the powers of everybody which happened a couple of months ago right it was like literally there was a one shot where miles morales is thor and then another one where he's um where he's captain america and another one where he's iron man and then they did the same thing with spider with spider gwen like a little bit like that's that's why they're doing that they're just filling up that extra week <laughs> It is totally a business decision. And so, but you don't want to break up your storyline and you don't want to shift your ongoing Spider-Man narrative or anything by off by a week to the future. So you either have it a completely unrelated stuff, a major event like Spider-Man gets married, yeah. or you do like a crossover like Acts of Vengeance or something, right? Or 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 Atlantis you know, Attacks. Yeah. Atlantis yeah. Attacks. Or or you just kind of throw some garbage at it. You throw in a fill-in issue like like this that's where they come yeah from. but that's exactly why they're confusing right because there are <laughs> many annuals that you know i was just talking with somebody recently about you know the fantastic four annual where sue storm gives birth and like that's an iconic iconic fantastic four story one of Some my of all time good. favorite yeah. fantastic four stories that mm -hmm. makes the most Their of like the yeah i know but that makes the mm -hmm. most of like the mega sizeness of the annual to tell a mega size story that is very important to continuity versus you have these other annuals that really aren't and there are some great claremont uncanny 
upcoming X-Men annuals, like both ones that are sort of set separately that he manages to sort of do something interesting with, like, you know, the fairy tale, like um, well, one where Ileana is telling the story. Asgardian Wars, like, we just mentioned. Think of the Dracula yeah. one, too. That had some mm-hmm. huge ramifications. Wasn't one of the Uncanny X-Men annuals where they meet Belasco for the first time? And then that's kind of how Storm gets hooked up with Blasco. Sure. And then that kind of leads to the magic, like four issue series, which I don't. I, I, Andrew wouldn't know that off the top I, of his head. I almost I am positive that because <laughs> there's the Storm like... Dracula one, and then there's mm-hmm. another one that I think was an annual. That I think that's kind of how they they started to introduce that magic Ileana kind of story that eventually you know led to New Mutant. I think like you might I'm be not... right. I I don't. Know I, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure if it's an annual. I'm voting that it's not an annual, but we'll look it up. Okay. <laughs> It's, and it gets, again, it's so funny because again, Andrew is listening to the episode I back know, now just and just like, yelling yeah, at us, so like yelling so at numbers. Angry. Obviously, issue whatever. I mean, I can say that <laughs> I, from an X Men perspective, I dug some of the annuals uh, in the '80s because I, I'm a huge Art Adams person, and so I kind of looked mm-hmm. forward to, oh my gosh, is Art Adams going to do a cover? Is he going to do some of the like you said, the Asgardian stuff was like mind blowing. You know, mm-hmm. X babies, the mojo stuff, you know, and, you know, and I, I kind of was done with annuals pretty much after like days of future present. That was like the last group <laughs> of annuals I cared about. And I barely cared. Let's let's be honest. But, <laughs> um, and and so I, I had always heard maybe Mab, you might know or, or Anna, you might know that the reason why like Excalibur and like Wolverine didn't do annuals is because of they were the the fancy format, the prestige format. And so instead they just got more expensive. Yeah. yeah, And they just got specials instead, you know, like Mojo Mayhem and Wolverine got the um, what's the one where he fights apocalypse and it's uh, Mike Mignola does it um, stuff like that. You know? So like, is that true? I don't, you you see probably. Okay. I mean, yeah, probably that I don't know for sure, but it, but it is, you don't want them to be expensive. Annuals can have more pages because you only have to do one per any given series in a year yeah and you only need to and and you literally only need to have like four or five come out in that fifth week you know you just need to have some books for the show sure so they don't need to be huge i mean they don't need to be prestige and of course matters less when you're in a direct market you know than it did when you had to do literal stuff on a newsstand but um i don't know i could absolutely believe that um it would be not as financially advantageous to do a prestige book like Excalibur, uh, for the listeners, prestige means um, when Excalibur was printed, it was on Baxter stock paper instead of newsprint, which most comics were on it. And there was a literal physical paper difference and shiny, a shiny, glossier, heavier, heavier stock paper was used in these books than was used in Uncanny at this time. So they cost more and they were more expensive to produce. When I was first reading all of X-Men, I was reading mostly comics digitally, and I just got like a couple of torrents. Not that I pirate things, but um, yeah, I was pirating things. It, you absolutely, I could not you have written the dissertation Marvel without that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I did. Has, did. Okay. Has full access to all this stuff. That's what you did. <laughs> yes, that's what I did. They did not have full access to all this stuff 10 years ago. Yeah, I know. Um, it's kind of really <laughs> So would they just insert the annuals in the middle of like other stories? No. Yeah. It's usually, well, oh, well, well what? Like, on, unlimited, on Unlimited? No, yeah. but yeah, unlimited what you were doing, Anna. Well, both things are confusing, but I remember yeah. I had this torrent that was like all of X-Men and then the person had very nicely and they did such a nicer job than Marvel Unlimited does actually, which does not put things in chronological order most of the time. So and mm-hmm. they had it all numbered. So like all of the things that tie in and even the stuff that sort of ties in, but doesn't like Knights of Pendragon, they had it like all numbered Ooh, wow. and like placed and like, yeah. So then it would cycle through to where it would fit in continuity. And that was a really nice way to have things, but also really jarring because you would read one issue and be like wait why are we doing this chaos annual now what are we even doing i was less of an experienced comic book reader at that time too so i was a little bit baffled by these digressions and that was part of the experience of reading excalibur though too like 100 percent excalibur has so many weird special issues and digressions and things that are technically excalibur like weird war three that are definitely not excalibur and i refuse to acknowledge as such <laughs> But but yeah, go back I don't and listen know. to our Weird War three episode I, that we didn't do. <laughs> I mean, I can um, tell you but, what I what I, my current reread what what I find to be incredibly gratifying is when I put back a pile that I pulled out and read, and then I pull out the new pile from currently. I guess it's the four titles. I, yeah, unfortunately, I'm to X Force at this point, which is 
rough. <laughs> but um, and then what I get to do is then I I pi- kind of reorder them because I have to merge all four titles by the month, and that's kind of fun. It's kind of a it's always like, so what's going to be the wraparound title? You know, what's which title am I going to read two issues in a row of? You know, so it's I don't know, it's mm. very nerdy, but but very cool. And, and I think the other thing that always bothered me too about annuals, if we're, we're still bemoaning the topic, was like when they would ruin things that hadn't yet happened in the mainstream comic. And I, I'm thinking to, you know, God forbid, Atlantis attacks um, with the New Mutants. And I, I remember reading that, and Danny wasn't there, and I was like, wait, where's Danny? <laughs> And the Asgard story hadn't happened where they left her. And I was like, wait, uh, and that it ruined it. And I mean, I don't know. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Dan. Danny's my favorite character, maybe in the new mutants besides magic. Aww. But so, so that was kind of heartbreaking, but it is what it is. Yeah. You know? yeah and, and stuff yeah. like that would happen all the time. Like there was a lot of that. And, and it was just sort of a, one of my favorite stories is there's a two issue storyline of Spider-Man where he fights Fire Lord, Herald of Galactus. And then it ends with Spider-Man beating Fire Lord by himself right before the Avengers show up. And they're like, sorry, Spider-Man, we were busy. We're here now. And Spider-Man's like, what the hell's wrong with you people? I had to fight a Herald of Galactus by myself. And they're like, uh, don't worry about it. We'll um, we'll take him. And that storyline ends with the Avengers taking Fire Lord with them. Well, in the Avengers, Fire Lord just, show, just uh, sort of shows up and is part of the Avengers for a while. He's just hanging out with them. And then there's like a, when he's suddenly there, they're like, why is Fire Lord here? See Amazing Spider-Man issues, whatever and whatever. That was six months away. <laughs> and just so, so, so Fire Lord just shows up in the Avengers for no apparent reason. And there's a six month gap where you just don't know how. That's just publication schedule. Well, <laughs> Sorry. If I, can, if I can academicize that slightly, it's like the thing that I find interesting about that, though, and it relates to why I thought it would be interesting to do a sort of an issue by issue thing for this podcast is that, I don't know, there is this perception that like comic book fans are really married to something like continuity or really trying to make everything make sense. And I don't think very many people actually read like that i mean yeah there's the stereotype of the they comic book they fan do, with all that no. yeah because i mean you have to do so much making it work in your head and i mean mm-hmm. to me like my approach to it is just i'm only looking for emotional consistency and continuity is a guide to how characters might respond to situations even if that situation didn't necessarily happen because of sliding time scale shenanigans so if a character reacts a certain way and i'm like oh but they reacted exactly differently to that situation 10 years ago and even if the 10 years ago story kind of doesn't count anymore that's how continuity matters because it's still an indication of how you expect characters to react to emotionally so it's kind of my take on continuity it's just sort of a guide to the character you know that we're dealing with and kind of their emotional reactions to things i think you just described why i can read an x-force issue in about a minute and a half because there's just 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 nothing there's there's nothing there i just skim like all right moving on like it's just yeah it's it's really disappointing i'll I'll say and i was a big rob liefeld fan when i was you know in my teenage years because i thought it was the bee's knees all right one one more big question for the two of you because i know we've talked about a lot of things already but like does the sword and sorcery context like offer us anything in terms of learning about these characters and i know you're both gonna say no quickly because i think that we're all sort of in agreement that we find this a little bit of a throwaway issue but like in theory does transporting these characters into this other location i mean can that do something for us i mean i'm thinking about the times where this has worked well in x-men something like inferno you know something like asgard Guardian Wars, you know, what makes or like all like... the other world comics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it can, it just doesn't here. There's sure. nothing yeah. here because they, but they like, don't why? Interact. Like why, if we're going to explain to somebody why it doesn't work here, like well, why does it like, work? I think like when you put characters, you know, it's like when you put characters, I'm thinking of like my favorite examples of movies or TV shows, when you put them into unknown situations and settings you get to play with their different strengths and weaknesses you know like yeah and you get to see things that are maybe innate characteristics of a character that have not really come to fruition you know i think of like the asgardian war stuff where each each of those characters kind of had like their own little side quest for the new mutants and they were each kind of like discovering some ability about themselves and i was interested in almost every single one of those you know sub stories and stuff and i think I don't know. Um, I, 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 that's my best, I guess, answer is that when it's done right, it's the idea of the fish out of water story that can allow characters to actualize things they didn't know really about themselves. You know, I mean, it goes back to 
you know, Luke Skywalker leaving Tatooine and, you know, figuring out who he was, you know, and, and stuff. I yeah, mean, that's very yeah. like, uh, you know, mythical, you know, obviously that that kind of goes goes to those sort of places. But that's that's my, I guess, takeaway of like how you could do something like the sword and sorcery well if if they had actually done something with it. But it just seems like they spent so much time developing a character like Chaos that and like his whole world. And I don't think why did they do that? Like, I, I didn't care about him or his world. They could have done they could have just thrown them into the gateway in the first five or six pages and then had those characters and Cerise yes. find things about herself in that out of water or fish out of water kind of world there. But they didn't do that. I mean, and Excalibur did it with the cross time caper. I mean, that was like the whole thing that was so brilliant about that is every issue you could do something different in a different world because they were not where they were comfortable. I don't know. That's my my thoughts, I guess. On yeah, that. no, that that makes a lot of sense in terms of my frustration with it, because it's sort of like we're not really learning about the members of Excalibur in this story. We're learning about the character of Chaos. <laughs> and this is an Excalibur story. I don't care about this character who's not going to be in this book anymore. And I think you see a little bit of the <laughs> it reads very fan fiction, which is the thing that we say a lot. But fan fiction in the sense that this character feels like a stan of the writer that they wanted to insert into this world to which interact with was, characters in Excalibur. Yeah, yeah, which is really like literally kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it very much reads like that. And I almost have a love for that. I'm like, you know, you get to write this comic, like you get some kick-ass art on it you know full of 90s success like pumping up your up your D&D character I mean like who among us wouldn't do such a thing it doesn't necessarily make for something that everybody else wants to read I had some role-playing characters I loved you know um I I would have loved to have done a comic on them they would have been terrible because (laughs) it was the mind of a 13 year old that invented those characters you know or whatever but um, (laughs) but see but see that's the great thing because Evan Skolnick, I presume, has three buddies from, you know, from middle school that he hung out with when he was 13 who read this, you know, they're his buddies. So they're reading his comic that he um, he wrote and then they get to page 35 and they're like, is that my dude? Is that <laughs> like where he, where where he they're like, oh, my God, yeah, he got yeah. my dude from like he got my barbarian character into an Excalibur mm-hmm. comic. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, you know, great for these for those five guys, sure. you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah, because he's got his little group of friends and they all have yeah. specific names and styles. And like a lot of thought went into that. It's just and nothing. comes. I don't that. care. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Like I said, Crom and all his other kind of crony. And like, what's the point? Like what? Like those guys don't do anything. I it was I I was confused because I thought it was going somewhere and the payoff was so just blase with that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. Do we want to talk about the TechNet story at all briefly? I don't I don't really have any sophisticated thoughts about it. Oh, there's but... nothing sophisticated. That was my final thought was yeah. oh, there's a TechNet story in here. They are not in character at all either. Like yeah. uh, like China China doll is very eloquent here, and I'm like, when did you learn to do all that? I don't know what was going on in this story other than, hey, we've got some pages left to fill. Who wants to draw the tech net, I guess? <laughs> and then you get to the end and you're just like, hey, beautiful woman and kind of a Conan the Barbarian. She reminds me of the clothes that were worn by the characters in the Warlord story, yeah. which were, you know, try- not exactly pulling from John Carter of Mars, but basically someone's interpretation of that. And it's just like, you know, in other worlds, women wear sheets and no underwear. And okay, Princess Flavia <laughs> had like a was she a progressive character or a regressive character? I was trying to figure out what they were going for because she was obviously oh, taking God. on a like a machismo, judgmental like it, it was very strange. Like I got the joke, but it seemed like almost one note. I don't know. I was trying to figure that. Well, out. they're never mentioned again either. But yeah, she's like, uh, okay, well, I I've always wanted to marry you, dude, but you're too ugly for me. Yeah, so now I've fixed your acne so let's get late yes which I guess well then she a, has that one scene. other comment a body comment near the end too i'm trying to remember what it was he's, he's got yeah, the, if you like, could drop a few pounds then you can get your chastity yeah. so 
So I felt like she was playing this kind of dominant sexual character, which is interesting, you know, from for a female mm-hmm. character. But they did, it was, I just couldn't tell if it was regressive or progressive or, or just neither. She's only got those two pages. Yeah, she yeah. exists for two pages in, in the entire history yeah, of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> you know what it's like? It's like that thing that Andrew always says about like hat on a hat where it's just like, I got the one joke that it's this thing about the acne and then they throw in the other thing about he has to lose weight. Yeah, also fat. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm and just confused yeah. about what we're doing doing here like why is she remaking this guy that she doesn't like anything about him (laughs) i mean like i don't get the joke like i mean i get it it's like a reversal of some kind but it's like see my dad tries to come up with these puns that are overcomplicated, and then you get hung up on like the first word of it and then it doesn't make love like that's this this is like a bad dad joke and i i don't understand it like i i've actually thought about it a lot and i I don't get the second (laughs) half of it like i get it's like the joke is that he's fat but i mean that's like not even a joke it's not anything. It's frustrating. Right. He, he, he's, he's just fat. Yeah. He's and that's fat. why I was like, yeah. is it a clever role reversal or just really like lazy, bad writing? And it's probably. The- it's also not super. It's not super clear that he's fat either. Like if he was. I mean, drawn... he looks fine. I don't know. Like, why are we right. judging it's... this guy? Well, right. Well, but I mean, if he doesn't even look comic book fat, right? Like if he was drawn like Volstag, yeah, then I would yeah, understand yeah. it. But he's not. He's drawn like any other 90s dude in armor and i'm like oh okay you're you're fat because she said so i guess and i and i mean i could write the better story where now we're talking about the you know we could do something that you know we're talking about the body positivity issues because boys do have these problems For too sure. and yeah. comics actually do enforce these things that we normally think of as a girl problem in our society and we should really talk about body positivity for young boys that's not in this no problem. I just, I mean, no, it, no, is, no. it is a real life, it is a real life issue that is often very, very much ignored, which is a problem. But this book also is not doing that work. It, it's just, no, he's fat, so he needs to lose weight, and she'll take off the chastity belt. You know, if if he loses weight and he becomes bangable, I there guess. You go. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I the guess story. that's all it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like weird. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the most fill in ish annuals that i've read in my recent rereading so i just think like i don't know i i guess the excalibur specials that have been put out as problematic as they were at least they had stuff to talk about more there but this one just seems depends on which one depends on which one i mean mojo mayhem is brilliant not all of them are yeah one of them we refuse to talk about yes yes (laughs) it's it's worse than this i will say i i I, I like the page with the giant bees that page is good yeah yeah. Like I said, I there, mean, there are I, things with the TechNet story I, I smiled at, but you know, it was more just to, so I could work a taxes joke into the episode. To, yeah, let's <laughs> be honest. There's there's clever usage of powers. I actually, um, as far as sexy sheet ca- costumes go, that um, Princess Flavia is wearing, I actually like it. I actually think it's um, oh, the, the think, page where she's introduced. That's a kind of this pretty lovely image. It's almost yeah, Jim Lee like. I, I mean, the face especially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but well, but I think the I think the rendering of the costume is the ornateness is much more costumey than what is the villain slash Kurt's lover from Warlord? Angelie. Yeah. yeah, her costume is not as cool as this. I mean, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be just a sheet. Whereas this is a costume that no joke. I could see any number of you know cosplay models wearing this to a comic con, and like. No one would get it, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, deep cut, nice, yeah. you know." So, oh so like, like, but I could, I could totally see how someone might be like, "I'm making that my Comic Con costume," and be like, "Wow, that's pretty impressive that she sewed that." That's what I would. Say. So, are you really issuing like a challenge to listeners of Oh Gosh no. to uh, go deep no, cut no, TechNet backup issue? No. Uh, no, I cannot. I cannot, in good conscience, like force anybody to go to a comic book shop shop and buy and and buy this just to just to you know win a stupid you know because again, no one's going to get it. Like no one would understand it. It would be neat and from a it's it's one of those costumes that if you were to cosplay it, you'd have to carry around the picture to show people so they could be like, oh, see, I'm this person, which is always like an issue at when some like whenever anybody deep cut cosplays something like that's always an issue where they're like, no. 
trust me go yeah, yeah. look at amazing spider-man number 320 you know i dress am jack as, rabbit <laughs> yeah. dress up as numbers instead and you can like have a little calculator sure. with you that's a good costume there you go oh god, oh, god. doing god. a doing a tech net group costume actually would be good i am issuing a challenge about that, that. Would be please do that and send us the pictures and we will retweet it to our not voluminous numbers of followers but i <laughs> you will have my undying respect which isn't that worth oh, wow. just as much oh my gosh <laughs> my pride broke it my rage broke it this excellent knight who fought with fairness and grace was meant to win I used Excalibur to change that verdict I've lost for all time the ancient sword of my fathers whose power was meant to unite all men not to serve the vanity of a single man all right we will wrap things up there other than to say jason a huge mega thank you for joining us and helping us fill the deep hole in our souls left by the absence of andrew before we go of course we need to remind our lovely listeners about your projects and where people can find you if you want people to find you online where can they find you and what stuff should they be checking out well, if you like deep analysis um, and you're open to, to music, uh, we don't just do, you know, all like kind of crazy metal stuff. We've done, you know, Dead Kennedys, Misfits. Um, we did Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac, Allman Brothers. So things that are just interesting that we're, you know, we want to like do deep analysis and dives into. Uh, the podcast is called Requiem Metal Podcast. You can find it on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, basically wherever you get Spotify, uh, wherever you get podcasts from. We have Patreon episodes if you go down that road and stuff. But yeah, that's that's the main thing is, uh, you know, if you like, I guess, whatever analysis I offered here, or you liked hearing me talk about pirate metal, um, you know, tune in, <laughs> tune in to Requiem Metal Podcast. But yeah, in terms of projects, I, you know, that's my project. That's my creative outlet at this point. You know, my co-host does have a lot of really, really kind of neat comics, metal theme comics too. He's done one on um, Judas Priest, you know, Celtic Frost and uh, King Diamond, uh, which is pretty cool. And he got a lot of other famous artists and also musicians involved in all those projects. And so, um, yeah, so if you're, interesting kind of some neat alternative comics i think we have some of that stuff on our website which is uh, requiemmetal.com uh, if you're interested in kind of finding some of his more artistic comic driven projects but uh yeah and i'm just going to keep on reading uh keep reading my x titles until i guess i run out of steam here um i'm definitely going to finish <laughs> the whole excalibur run because i want to obviously coincide with uh you know oh gosh so yeah, we're entering year two. I think it's going to be a bit of a different podcast. But before we get there, we do have a couple more Alan Davis issues to talk about. So, um, yeah, thank you just so much again. Oh, Jason. you're welcome. So next in one week's time, we will be back to Alan Davis issues discussing Excalibur number 66, Back to the Present, in which we go back to Rachel's present and start to find out some of the truth about Widget. We have a fabulous returning guest to join us for that one. We're very excited. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our episodes, which you can find via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras thank you matt for another roll of the dice thank you jason for helping <laughs> us level up thank you all for listening and a special thanks to maximilian of thought form music for a truly epic theme song play us out i can't promise all of that <laughs>